This is VUA News. Reporting via remote, I'm Richard Green. Former U.S. President Donald Trump says the FBI has been conducting a search at his Mar-a-Lago estate. AP correspondent Norman Hall reports. In a lengthy statement, the former president says that the FBI was conducting a search of his Florida estate. Justice Department spokesperson Dina Iverson said the agency had no comment when asked whether Attorney General Merrick Garland had personally authorized the search. Trump's statement says the raid was unannounced, not necessary, or appropriate. The Justice Department has been investigating the discovery of boxes of records containing classified information that were taken to Mar-a-Lago after Trump's presidency had concluded. The National Archives and Records Administration said it had found classified material in 15 boxes at the residence. Norman Hall, Washington. With a ceasefire between Israel and Palestinian militants holding after nearly three days of violence, Gaza's sole power plant resumed operations Monday. That came as Israel began reopening crossings into the territory. Israel also lifted security restrictions on southern Israeli communities after the Egyptian-mediated truce took effect late Sunday. It was the worst round of violence since an 11-day war between Israel and Hamas last year. Starting Friday, Israeli aircraft had pummeled targets in Gaza, while the Iran-backed Palestinian Islamic Jihad militant group fired hundreds of rockets at Israel. The Palestinian Health Ministry said 46 Palestinians were killed. Islamic Jihad said 12 were militants. Israel said some of the dead were killed by misfired rockets. The administration of U.S. President Joe Biden has announced another $1 billion in new military aid for Ukraine. The pledge promises to be the biggest delivery yet of rockets, ammunition, and other arms from the U.S. military's weapons stockpile for Ukrainian forces. This is VOA News. The Pentagon announcement of a massive new shipment of arms comes as analysts warned Russia is moving troops and equipment in the direction of the southern port cities to stave off a Ukrainian counteroffensive. The latest announcement brings the total U.S. security assistance committed to Ukraine by the, by the Biden administration to $9.1 billion since Russian troops invaded in late February. A new study connects climate hazards to 58% of infectious diseases. AP correspondent Mike Gracia reports. A new study says more than half of the known infectious diseases in people, including malaria, cholera, and anthrax, have worsened due to climate hazards such as flooding, heat waves, and drought. In Monday's journal Nature Climate Change, researchers said they found 218 of the known 375 human infectious diseases seemed to be made worse by one of 10 types of extreme weather connected to climate change. The study says warming oceans and heat waves can taint seafood and other things we eat. Droughts can bring bats carrying viral infections to people. Downpours and flooding sicken people through disease-carrying mosquitoes, rats, and deer. Additionally, the study found 223 of 286 unique non-infectious sicknesses, such as asthma and allergies, seemed to be worsened by climate hazards. I'm Mike Gracia. The governor of the Cuban province of Matanzas said Monday a third crude tank caught fire and collapsed at Cuba's main oil terminal as an oil spill spread flames from a second tank that caught fire two days earlier in the island's biggest oil industry accident in decades. Huge columns of fire rose into the sky and thick black smoke bellowed all day, darkening the sky as far as as far away as Havana. Explosions rocked the area just before midnight as one tank collapsed and again at noon as another imploded. One firefighter has died and 16 people were missing, all from Saturday's explosion at the second storage tank. 
Recapping our top story, former U.S. President Donald Trump said Monday the FBI had conducted a search of his Mar-a-Lago estate and is asserting that agents broke open a safe. A person familiar with the matter said the action is related to a probe of whether Trump had taken classified records from his White House tenure to his Florida residence. Monday's action, which the FBI and U.S. Justice Department have not immediately confirmed, marks a dramatic escalation in law enforcement scrutiny of Trump and comes as he has been laying the groundwork to make another bid for president. You can find more on this and all the stories we're covering at voanews.com. You can also download an app. Just search for VOA News. Reporting via remote, I'm Richard Green for VOA News. Today is Tuesday, August 9th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinadofo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, China extends provocative military exercises around Taiwan as President Joe Biden warns against escalation. Under President Xi Jinping, China has become more authoritarian at home and more aggressive abroad. A recent poll suggested only 1.6% of Taiwanese support unification with China. Alarm bells as Russia mines and launches missiles around a nuclear power plant in Ukraine. Today, it was confirmation that actually Russian forces declaring that they have mined the Parisia plant and they are ready to blow it up. And the FBI raids the Mar-a-Lago home of former President Donald Trump. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. The Biden administration has announced another $1 billion in new military aid for Ukraine. Monday's pledge promises what will be the biggest yet delivery of rockets, ammunition and other arms straight from the Department of Defense stock for Ukrainian forces. The Pentagon announcement of a massive new shipment of arms comes as analysts warn that Russia is moving troops and equipment in the direction of the southern port cities to stave off a Ukrainian counteroffensive. Former U.S. President Donald Trump is saying agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigations have raided his estate at Mar-a-Lago in the state of Florida. There's been no comment yet from either the FBI or its parent agency, the Department of Justice. This story from VOA's chief national correspondent, Steve Herman, in Washington. Former President Trump, in a lengthy statement Monday evening, said FBI agents had raided his home in Mar-a-Lago, even breaking into his safe. Trump said even though he had been working and cooperating with the relevant government agencies, the unannounced raid was not necessary or appropriate. The former president, according to media reports, was in New York City, not his home in Florida, when the search warrant was executed. The investigation appears to be focused on material that Trump may have illegally brought with him to his Mar-a-Lago private club and residence after he left the White House, according to the New York Times, Washington Post, and the Associated Press. Those boxes, according to the media reports, contain classified documents, and Monday's court-authorized search is connected to that case. The Justice Department has also been questioning former Trump aides in connection with the former president's attempt to stay in office after he lost his re-election bid nearly two years ago. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. China extended provocative military exercises around Taiwan Monday, a day after drills were scheduled to end. China says it is demonstrating the ability to blockade or invade the self-ruled island. 
Taiwanese residents are not impressed, as VOA's Bill Gallo reports from Taipei. Just another evening in Taiwan's Matsu Islands. At this outdoor dance party, bikini-clad women use a water cannon shaped like a machine gun to drench the crowd. It's the only weapon in sight at the central square on the Frontline Island, which is just 50 kilometers from mainland China. Nearby, China's military carries out provocative drills meant to show it can invade or choke off Taiwan. But in the Matsu Islands, residents are unfazed, says resident Wen Li, who attended the party. People don't ignore the fact that China is conducting these lead fire drills, but people don't panic over these drills or uh, let the media discussions uh, affect their lives. According to Li, restaurants and hotels are busy, as was the dance party, which was held as part of an annual obstacle course race. Li heads the local office of Taiwan's ruling Democratic Progressive Party. He says while people are not terrified of China's threats, they are more likely to become frustrated with Beijing because of the drills. They are, quite frankly, a very violent form of communication. And it only serves to increase the antipathy that Taiwanese people hold towards uh, the government of China. In the capital, Taipei, life also continues as normal. Many shrug at the Chinese threats. Dave is a Taipei resident walking in a busy shopping district. I've been making this kind of threat for, for like the past, I don't know, as long as I can remember. It, it's kind of like a cry war at, at, this, at this time. He cited a recent interview in which the Chinese ambassador to France spoke of the need to re-educate Taiwanese residents. Yeah, they, they keep saying that we are being uh, brainwashed to believe in this kind of uh, in, in, independent ideas which is kind of hilarious because we have seen all, we have seen all kind of atrocity in Hong Kong, am I right? Under President Xi Jinping, China has become more authoritarian at home and more aggressive abroad. Taiwanese have noticed. A recent poll suggested only 1.6% of Taiwanese support unification with China. Ricky Su is a Taipei resident in his 20s. Our government is really different. Like... They, China want to control everything, like the people, their lifestyle. But in Taiwan, we have our rights, our authorities to control our own life. China views Taiwan's government as separatist, even though Taiwan's ruling party does not advocate for declaring independence. Like many people here, they simply want to keep things the way they are. Bill Gallo, VOA News, Taipei. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres on Monday condemned the recent attack on a nuclear power station in Ukraine while the country's IAE ambassador warned of an unparalleled catastrophe should damage to the plant become severe. Reporter Anna Chenikova in Kyiv has additional updates on the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. She shares that as well as details of the fighting taking place in the country's south with Flashpoint Ukraine Steve Miller. Today, it was confirmation that actually Russian forces declaring that they have mined the Parisia plant and they are ready to blow it up. We have the direct speech of the Russian general who is responsible for Garizon, which is located in the Parisia power plant. And I will quote, as you know, we mined all important objects of the Parisia nuclear plant and we do not hide this from the enemy. We warn them. The enemy knows that the plant will be either Russian or nobody's. We are ready to the consequences of this step and you liberating soldiers must understand that we have no other and if there is the toughest order we must fulfill it 
with honor, end of quote. And basically, Ukrainian officials and Ukrainian intelligence has confirmed that the plant is mined. The main power units of the plant are mined. And of course, this is very, very disturbing. And Anna, what do Ukrainian authorities believe is the current Russian objective for the plant? Apparently, the ultimate goal for the moment Russian forces are following is to disconnect the station from Ukraine's power system and start using Ukrainian electricity for Crimea in particular. We know, again, from Energo Atom officials and from the experts of the energy field that it's very difficult technically to actually turn the power from the Parisian nuclear power plant to Crimea or to Russia, but it is still possible. And this is one of the fears as well, in addition to actual main fear that Russian forces are basically shelling the plant. I also wanted to ask you about what we know about Russia's current offensive. Initially, they were focused on the eastern Donbass region, but they have redirected their forces into Ukraine south. So what can you tell us about updates in that region? This is true. We can see that uh, a lot of Russian troops, Russian forces have moved from Donbass region to the south. We're talking here about Kherson, Zaporizhia and Mykolaiv region. Mykolaiv region is mostly under constant shelling and there is no sign of any advances of the Russian forces there. However, the area is one of the most shelled areas for the moment in Ukraine. If we talk about Kherson and Zaporizhia, here we can see that a lot of Russian forces are getting ready for the defense and we are hearing from Ukrainian officials that Ukrainian forces are getting ready for advances and uh, certain, you know, counteroffensive actions as well. So everyone are expecting that certain actions will start sometime soon. That's reporter Anna Chernikova in Kiev speaking with flashborn Ukraine Steve Miller. Japan is marking the anniversaries of the nuclear bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki that killed more than 200,000 people and brought an end to World War II. But even as Japan's prime minister pledged to work towards world peace, the government is planning a big increase in defense spending, long a taboo subject following Japan's defeat in 1945. As Henry Rijo reports from Tokyo, the dramatic changes driven by fears of the threat from China. Local schoolchildren, alongside survivors of the Hiroshima atomic bombing, marked the 77th anniversary of the explosion that destroyed their city and killed an estimated 140,000 people. They were joined by members of the Japanese government and the United Nations Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres. Almost 13,000 nuclear weapons are held in arsenals around the world, and crises with grave nuclear undertones are spreading fast from the Middle East to the Korean Peninsula to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It is totally unacceptable for states in possession of nuclear weapons to admit the possibility of nuclear war. Hiroshima is set to host the G7 summit next year. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida made this pledge to delegates. Together with the G7 leaders in front of the Monument of Peace, we will confirm our commitment to unite to protect peace. Japan's constitution, written in the aftermath of its defeat in 1945, says the Japanese people forever renounce war as a sovereign right of the nation. But the threat of war is edging closer to its shores. 
China's large-scale live-fire military exercises surrounding Taiwan in recent days, shown here on state television, have raised fears that Beijing is planning an invasion of the island, which it claims as part of its territory. Japan says several Chinese missiles landed in seas that are part of its exclusive economic zone. In Hiroshima, following the atomic bomb ceremony, Japan's prime minister said the government had to respond to the crises in Taiwan and Ukraine. Henry Richwell for VUA News, Tokyo. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres said on Monday in Japan that the risk of nuclear confrontation had returned after decades, calling on nuclear states to commit to not use weapons. Guterres highlighted the quote, full and irreversible denuclearization of North Korean Peninsula as a key objective in reducing the proliferation of nuclear arms, and said global disarmament was, quote, moving backwards, unquote. The UN chief was holding a news conference in Tokyo two days after attending the Hiroshima Peace Memorial Ceremony on August 6th to commemorate the 77th anniversary of the world's first atomic bombing. This is the moment, as I said, to ask the nuclear armed countries to commit to the principle of non-first use and to commit to not use and not threaten, as I mentioned, non-nuclear armed countries with full transparency in relation to their arsenals. Any attack to a nuclear plant is a suicidal thing, and I hope that uh, those attacks uh, will end. And at the same time, I hope that uh, the IAEA will be able to uh, have access uh, to the plant and uh, to exercise uh, its mandate competencies. The denuclearization full denuclearization, verifiable and irreversible, of the Korean Peninsula remains a major objective together with the success of the JCPOA to avoid the proliferation of nuclear weapons. We are moving backwards in relation to disarmament. We have now 13,000 nuclear bombs in the world, and uh, we are seeing uh, huge investments in modernizing nuclear arsenals, So this is the moment to say, stop it. That the billions that are being used in uh, this arms race need to be used fighting climate change, fighting poverty, addressing the needs uh, of uh, the international community. That's United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres. In other news, a new study finds climate hazards aggregate 58% of known infections, diseases in people. Monday's study shows how widespread the influence of extreme weather, such as flooding, heat waves and drought, is on human illnesses. The study looks at cases that have already happened. Researchers calculate 286 unique illnesses connected to what they call climate hazards. And of those cited, extreme weather made it worse in 223 maladies. The study doesn't do the calculations to formally attribute the diseases to climate change, but several scientists call it a terrifying illustration of climate change's effect on human health. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedu in Washington. South Africa's Minister of International Relations, Nalid Pando, accused the West of sometimes taking a patronizing and bullying attitude towards Africa as she hosted U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on his first leg of his African visit. Pando made it clear that South Africa 
has different views from the U.S. on Ukraine, China and Israel, and the Palestinians. Kate Butler reports from Pretoria. At a joint press conference in the South African capital, Blinken stressed he was not on his three-country tour of the continent in order to counter Moscow and Beijing's growing influence in the region, as has been widely speculated after Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov visited last month. Our commitment to a stronger partnership with Africa is not about trying to outdo anyone else. Blinken spoke, too, about the U.S.'s support of Ukraine, saying Russia's invasion was an aggression against the entire international order. South Africa has remained neutral on the conflict with Russia, its partner in the BRICS group of countries, and abstained from any UN votes on the matter, though Pandora said the country abhorred war and would like to see an end to the conflict. However, she said the different approaches by the international community to different conflicts sometimes leads to cynicism about international bodies. She referenced the plight of the Palestinians. Just as much as the people of Ukraine deserve their territory and freedom, the people of Palestine deserve their territory and freedom. And we should be equally concerned at what is happening to the people of Palestine as we are with what is happening to the people of Ukraine. We've not seen an even-handed approach. Pandora added that while it didn't come from Blinken, South Africa had experienced pressure from some in the West to align with its policy on Ukraine. She also appeared to criticize America's countering malign Russian activities in Africa Act, which has been seen by some on the continent as a vehicle to punish African countries that have not towed the line on Ukraine. But in terms of our interaction with some of our partners in Europe and elsewhere, there has been a sense of a patronizing bullying uh, toward you choose this or else. Uh, and uh, the recent uh, legislation passed in the United States of America uh, by the House of Representatives, we found a most unfortunate bill. Bob Wakesa, director of the African Center for the Study of the United States, said Pandora's candid remarks at the press conference showed the closed-door meeting between the U.S. and South African sides must have been a very difficult one. I think the U.S. Uh, is attempting to uh, figure out how to get the South Africa onto its side. But South Africa is not coming to the party. Lincoln was in Pretoria to launch the new U.S. strategy for sub-Saharan Africa, which focuses on areas such as climate change, trade, health and food insecurity. During his remarks Monday, he also criticized Beijing for its strong reaction to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan. Pandora would not comment specifically on Taiwan, but did say South Africa did not want to be made party to a conflict between China and the U.S. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Pretoria. Thank you, Kate. On Tuesday, Kenyans head to the polls to choose a new president, and the candidates are pulling out all the stops. In a strange shift of alliances, term-limited President Huru Kenyatta is backing his former foe, 77-year-old Raila Odinga, instead of his 55-year-old Deputy President William Ruto. American diplomat David Sheen, former ambassador to Ethiopia and Burkina Faso, and Joshua Masavi, senior policy analyst for Africa and the Middle East at the Heritage Foundation, discusses the election with VOA's encounter host Carol Castiel. Their talks begins with Sheen, who says Kenyatta's support for Dinga underscores the fact that the campaign is based more on personalities than on big issues like the economy. The economy of Kenya is in a difficult situation at the moment with high inflation, very high uh, youth unemployment, 
a serious drought. And those are the major concerns. There otherwise are not significant policy issues to deal with. And there's a lot of concern, as usual, about the aftermath of the election. Will it be peaceful or not? I think there's a fairly good chance it will be peaceful this time. The polls show that Odenga has a slight lead over Ruto at the moment, but it may be so slight that neither one will reach 50% which means there will have to be a runoff. And that too would be a first. Josh, anything you'd like to add or subtract to what's at stake? Yes, the big concern around Kenyan elections are whether there will be violence in the aftermath. We all remember what happened in 2007, thousands of people killed in that violence. I'm somewhat optimistic that there won't be that level of violence this time around. For one, this contest is breaking down less uh, along ethnic and tribal lines. We saw the tribal mobilization was a major element of the violence in 2007. But this time around, there's much less of that. It does seem to be more, as Ambassador Shin just referenced, more about personalities and certain issues. So that's actually positive. We would always hope that it would be an issues-driven debate. But we will all be holding our breath, I think. I certainly will be, because you can never, unfortunately, discount the prospect of violence if there's a poor loser who then decides to do what's best for himself and not for his country Mm -hmm. and, and mobilize violence. So hopefully it'll be peaceful. That was Joshua Masave, Senior Policy Analyst for Africa and the Middle East at the Heritage Foundation, along with Ambassador David Chin, speaking with my colleague Carol Castiel. The full interview can be found at www.voaafrica.com. And to all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com. From voanews.com, there you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, Thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chino Rofa in Washington. Have a wonderful day. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. On November 20, 2020, Burma's National League for Democracy Party, or NLD, won an overwhelming majority of votes in the national election. Less than three months later, the Burmese military seized control of Burma's government and detained the country's leaders, including State Councilor Aung San Suu Kyi and President Nguyen Myint, as well as members of their political party. The regime launched the coup on February 1, 2021, as the newly elected parliament was preparing for its initial session. The regime used lethal force to suppress protests throughout the country. 
According to the NGO Assistance Association for Political Prisoners, Burmese security forces killed over 2,000 people and arbitrarily arrested over 14,000. The military also expanded abusive operations in ethnic minority areas, displacing more than 750,000 people. In an attempt to stop the bloodshed, leaders of the nine other ASEAN countries met with Burma's military commander-in-chief, General Min Ong Lang. They prevailed upon him to agree to the five-point consensus by which the Burmese military regime agreed to end the violence in Burma, to hold dialogue among all parties, to accept the appointment of a special envoy, to accept humanitarian assistance by ASEAN, and to allow the special envoy to meet with all parties. Unfortunately, the agreement changed nothing as the military regime has consistently failed to uphold its commitments. It's unfortunately safe to say that we've seen no more positive movement, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken. We continue to see the repression of the Burmese people. We continue to see violence perpetrated on them by uh, the regime. We continue to see virtually the entire opposition in jail or in exile. And we continue to see a terrible humanitarian situation exacerbated by the fact that the regime is not delivering what's necessary for the people. We will continue to look for ways that we and other countries can effectively put pressure on the regime to move back to the democratic path, said Secretary Blinken. Regional support for the regime's adherence to the five-point consensus developed by ASEAN is critical. All the ASEAN countries need to continue to demand an immediate cessation of violence, the release of political prisoners, and a restoration of uh, Burma's democratic path. All countries have to continue to speak clearly about what the regime is doing in its ongoing repression and brutality, said Secretary Blinken. We have an obligation to the people of Burma to hold the regime accountable. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. 